Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, I'm Niall and this is Football Social Daily, the only daily podcast focusing exclusively on the Premier League. And there are two games to pick apart on today's show, as last night Brighton were pegged back by the Baggies. A late point for West Brom. Are they showing they have the stomach for a real relegation fight this season? Spurs beat Burnley at Turf Moor. The Kane and Son combo work in wonders again. It's delightful if you're a fantasy football manager and have those two in your team. But what about Tottenham's actual manager? Should we start giving Jose Mourinho some credit for the way those two have been playing this season? Also, it's Champions League action tonight for Liverpool and Manchester City against Midtjylland and Marseille, respectively. We'll look ahead to those two games. Plus, it's the turn of Manchester United in floodlight focus. We'll have BBC Radio Manchester's Gaz Drinkwater with us to tell us whether he's Ollie in or Ollie out. All of that in the company today of Ian Brannan. Hi, Ian. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. You? Yeah, very, very well. We've also got Matt Cunningham back on the podcast. How are you doing, Matt? Hello, Niall. Not too bad, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very, very good. I was actually hoping that we'd have a couple more exciting games to talk about after last night's Monday Night Football. But hey-ho, it always seems that the games that are on a Monday are dead, dead boring. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you can only take what you're given. And uh, let's start at the Amex Stadium, where Brighton and Hove Albion drew one apiece with West Bromwich Albion, the Battle of the Albions. Brighton, we were saying on yesterday's show, Matt, that, you know, they've kind of had a rough start to the season because of the teams they've played. They've played some top teams so far and they've actually given a good account of themselves in those games. But certainly against West Brom, those are the sort of games that Graham Potter would have known that his side really do have to win if they're not going to be flirting with the relegation places because, you know, they can play the most attractive football in the world, but if they aren't picking up the results, that's going to spell danger for them. I mean, yeah, it definitely is. As you said, it was not the most thrilling of games. I don't think it was the £15 box office thriller that some people might have paid for. Um, but, I, I mean, Brighton, I don't really know what their targets are this season. I don't really know what they're aiming to achieve this season. I don't know where Brighton stand, but I think you're right. Against West Brom, who have been struggling, I, I heard uh, Slavon Dilich after the game about how disappointed he was to have lost um, his most experienced defender in El Ghazi. 
Um, they're, they're not in a great situation, and West Brom probably going to be happy with avoiding relegation this season. So Brighton, you expect them to go into those games and pick up three points. Those are the kind of three points they need to pick up. However, they have played some fantastic games this season as well. You know, look at the game they played against Manchester United in the Premier League. They played really well. They gave Man United a tough run, and admittedly, United have not been great either. But you know, that's not an easy thing to do. Such a um, better off football side that have got. 80 million, two 80 million pound players and so on and so forth to give them a good running like they did and make them win it 10 minutes after added time with a penalty that was disputable uh, was an impressive showing. So I mm. thought Brighton, yeah, maybe flattered to deceive last night. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because you talk back about that Manchester United game and they hit the crossbar and post, I think 2006, I think was the last time someone had hit the crossbar or post as many times in the game as Brighton did on that occasion against Manchester United, but they ended up losing the game. And I know it was a penalty after the whistle from Fernandez, like you say, but they still lost and they have nothing to show for it, even though that there was an excellent performance. So like you say, flattering to deceive. And that's the kind of vibe I'm getting from Brighton, Ian, the last two games, particularly against West Brom last night and against Crystal Palace before that. Two sides who if you're talking about the style of football you'd expect Brighton to beat with the way they've played against the better teams with no disrespect in the league this season and lost you'd think against the likes of West Brom and Crystal Palace they'd be more likely to get a result but they just can't seem to grind out the win it comes down to that bottom line with football isn't it that you can you can play fantastically and be beautiful to watch on the eye but at the end of the day it is the points that uh, that add up and, and save your uh, save your season one way or the other <laughs> and um, you know they are playing some good football and they, they they have been competing with with the sides that they've been playing against in terms of shots and um, you know creating chances and so on but as you say it's just that a little bit of bad luck but you know there's not a lot you can do about that uh, really you know it's one of those things there is luck involved I think uh, with with these things, you know, when you think of deflections and shots mm. in posts that that might on another day have, have, have snuck in or, or whatever, but um, yeah, they, they aren't. They're also not really taking their chances as strongly as, as the other teams, and and that's where things are coming down. Of course, the goal that they got last night it was a one all draw, but that that the goal they got was a was a stroke of luck in in effect in it being a technically an own goal um, from uh, from Livermore, but yeah. It's concerning because you look at the table, and I know we're only six games in and that, but there is starting to become a club at the bottom, uh, and it involves those two teams that played last night. Um, you know, West Brom and Brighton are in that sort of five that are stuck on either zero, uh, you know, one or, or two or three points, you know. Yeah, certainly that bottom cluster. And to make matters worse for Brighton, they've got Tottenham up next to continue their difficult start. We'll talk about Spurs and their victory over Burnley shortly. But first, let's look at West Brom a little bit closer, Matt. That late winner from Carlin Grant was the first goal for his new club. And does that kind of late equaliser show that the Baggies do have the stomach for the fight this season? Ian mentioned that they might be tussling down the bottom of the table. I think most of us on the podcast are in agreement that that is where they'll finish at the end of the season in that bottom cluster for sure. But they need to show that they've got real grit and determination and real steel to make a fist of it because you don't want to throw in the towel so early in the season when this is the Premier League and you never know what might happen. Yeah, yeah, I think the spawn is they need to try and find points from somewhere. They need to find games that they feel they can pick up points from. But having said that, you know, last night they came from behind and drew one all. They also played fantastically against Chelsea. You know, I don't think when they drew up their fixtures and where the points were going to come from before the season, they would have said, well, if we're 3-0 down against Chelsea, that'll probably be an easy one point for us. Um, so that was impressive showing as well. Then I've seen their fixtures uh, this morning. They've got some really tough games coming up against like, Tottenham, Manchester United away, Sheffield United. So they do have to find things from somewhere. Uh, as I just mentioned before, Slavin Bilic 
not happy that the board have sort of gone over his head. They told him that uh, El Ghazi was going to stay and he's left without him really knowing he was in the preparations for the game um, mm. and in the shape and the build-up and when they were training for the game and so on and so forth and then has left and left uh, Bilic with no one really. So, it, you know, it's not an ideal time for West Brom, but what do you expect when you come up from the championship? It is a difficult league, the Premier League, and there's a lot of teams in this league now that have got quality players because of the amount of money that's in the Premier League. So West Brom, they're going to have to find points from somewhere. Where they'll come from, I'm not entirely sure, um, but it's going to have to happen. Yeah, certainly West Bromwich Albion do need to make sure that they are picking up points sooner rather than later because a couple of wins, even at this early stage of the season, can really benefit you moving forward, particularly as this fixture schedule gets more and more congested around Christmas, which is going to be upon us before we know it here in the Premier League. So Brighton won, West Brom won last night at the Amex Stadium. The other game in Monday night football was Burnley nil, Tottenham Hotspur won at Turf Moor and it was another goal, a winning goal for Son Hyung Min on yesterday's podcast. We spoke about Brendan Rodgers, who called his player Jamie Vardy world-class. I mean, right now, with the way Son Heung-min is playing, Ian, you could make an argument that he certainly is, in terms of form, one of the best forward players in the world right now. Well, he is. He is. And I think he's sort of gone under the radar somehow. Um, and maybe that's just my <laughs> own personal kind of ignorance. Or or maybe it's because we don't see him, you know, uh, in, in the newspapers quite so much, uh, you know, getting involved in scandals. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's the partnership. I'm just reading here the uh, the, the, the partnership with um, Harry Kane is the the, the second uh, richest uh, sort of duo in terms of, uh, of of goals where they've combined in Premier League history. Wow. You know, they're, they're, they're up there... Be- who, who is the who is the all-time combination? Do you know? Oh, I, I'm going to go uh, with... Lampard and Drogba? Oh, Lampard and Drogba's a shout. I'm going to go with someone who's played a lot of games. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a United player, maybe Giggs or something, but... Uh. I don't know. Well, I don't know. We all, we already have a winner. It is it is Drogba and Lampard. Oh, man. Uh, th- th- <laughs> Ten yeah, points to Gryffindor. They've combined for 36 goals, and that is the highest tally in, in, uh, in, in the Premier League. Um, Harry Kane and uh, Son Heung-min are now joint second, actually, uh, with uh, David Silva and Sergio Aguero and uh, Robert Pires and Thierry Henry. So, yeah, you can argue that they are one of the greatest partnerships in the world because currently they're one of the greatest partnerships in Premier League history and uh, you know one more goal will cement them in that um, second position so yeah why not um, and uh, you know it's obviously working very well for them and as I say they've, they've been uh, banging the goals in and that's all, you, that's all you can ask really isn't it? Well yeah certainly on that front Ian I mean wouldn't every team love a son in their side because the way he kind of conducts himself uh, off the pitch on the pitch the way he carries the ball he's tireless he never stops running he's always in the right position he's the sort of player that I would absolutely love um, in my side if I was a, a Premier League fan yeah, I mean, it is like the the sort of uh, stereotypical kind of you know he'd run through a brick wall for you, isn't he? And um, sure, I, I saw him on that um, the the documentary, the Amazon documentary of uh, of Tottenham, where um, where he got sent off, and you could see how devastated he was in yeah. terms of, of of getting that booking and getting getting sent off. And and you know, obviously, he cares richly about about his team. He cares about the result. He cares about his contribution, not only for himself in terms of getting the goals, but also his whole contribution in in helping the team win and yeah absolutely is is sort of the model modern footballer really isn't he because he's you know got a great um attitude everybody you know the, the fans seem to love him uh and and he's as I say he's doing the business on the pitch and uh yeah i think his value this season is, is certainly uh, increased since uh, since the start of september when we began 
I absolutely love Son. I really do. And I love Harry Kane as well. And I think Tottenham have got something really special when those two are fit, certainly with the other uh, options that could possibly throw into the mix as well with now Gareth Bale back at the club. It looks like it could be an exciting time for Spurs. Um, And a few more stats to throw into the mix. Kane assisting Son for the seventh time this season already in just six games, which, you know, as you say, second highest in Premier League history, but already equaling the highest player-to-player assist goal count from last season already. So... We can talk about Kane, we can talk about Son and how well they're both playing, but should we start giving Jose Mourinho a little bit of credit, Matt, for the way that Harry Kane in particular has been performing? Lots of question marks over whether, you know, him dropping deep would ever work and whether he can only play through the middle, but the way that he's been laying goals on a plate for Son this season proves that he is more than a one-dimensional striker. So should we give Jose a little bit of credit for the way that those two players are performing? Yeah, I I think so. Uh, maybe it, I, I think <laughs> reluctant Matt there to give any credit to Jose Mourinho <laughs> yeah I wasn't I wasn't too sure but I mean I suppose you have to anytime a team is playing well or he's they're playing to his tune you have to do that and he, Mourinho's not exactly known um for his goal scoring sides or his prolific sides so and Spurs are doing that this season they're the top scoring team in the Premier League which I mean it's no surprise when Kane and Son have linked up as you just said for seven goals um but I think Mourinho he, he's benefiting from what has been somewhat of a poor league this season no one's really playing well we've seen what's happened to Liverpool as well City I don't think are in great form nor are Manchester United or Chelsea so when they go out and put six past Manchester United and that was it five past Southampton I might have got that wrong yeah um, no you're right yeah it, it obviously impresses people it catches your eye because the Premier League hasn't really been like that this season it's been like the Premier League of old where the competition is very close and teams are uh, you know getting beat by teams they shouldn't be getting beat by from top to bottom um well, I mean, Mourinho, to be fair to him, he, as you just said, he has got Kane playing in a deeper role. I thought Kane didn't have his better get, one of his better games last night. And I actually thought Burnley were really unlucky. The Burnley's front two mm. Um, mm. of Wooden Barnes, I thought, were, were brilliant last night. Um, probably better than Son and Kane in the game, in my opinion. However, Kane and Son did get the job done um, and, and got Spurs the win. But th- that's what football is about. That's what the Premier League is about. It's picking up three points where you maybe don't play well. They say that's how what makes a championship side. And Mourinho certainly knows how to build a few of those. Um, so I suppose if Mourinho keeps this going for a few more weeks and the wheels don't start to fall <laughs> off and he doesn't start, you know, criticizing his own players or himself or the board, then yeah, I think it's fair to start saying Mourinho's maybe getting this right at Spurs. Do you know what? I know you are reluctant to give Jose a little bit of credit, but you do know that he will milk the absolute hell out of this. He will claim this as a resounding success. <laughs> well, I'm just reading here, though. He's, he's actually been quite mag- magnanimous about it because um, I think he was asked after the game last night this question about you know the, the whole um, Kane and Son uh, partnership. And uh, he's actually quite uh, graciously said that um, uh, Pochettino is, uh, is the one that should be credited with, with putting them together in the first place. And he's sort of carried on uh, his work. But uh, what he has made a point, and I think it's a very important point, especially when you go back to what we were saying about uh, West Brom and stuff and with things going on maybe behind the scenes which might well not help them uh, over the coming weeks you know in terms of a bit of unrest is that that um, Kane and uh, and Son are both very good friends personally as well and, and you know they really get on so they've got that understanding of playing together for a long time now they've been doing it uh, you know quite a while but they're also you know good friends and have this sort of good understanding personally too which you know I think team spirit um often uh, an, an underrated and an unknown quantity as well to many fans because we don't know what goes on in, in the dressing room. But I think you've got to have that sort of camaraderie off the pitch as well in order to, uh, in order to perform well on the pitch. 
Yeah, the thing is with Jose, I, ca- I can't ever tell whether he's being sarcastic or not sometimes. <laughs> you know, he's giving the credit to Pochettino, but you just don't know whether he's slyly sticking the boot in or not with Jose. I can tell you for a fact that that took every grain of strength in Mourinho's body to defer any kind of praise <laughs> from himself. <laughs> well, talking of praise, I think we should praise Burnley, as you say, Matt. You mentioned that they played well and they were quite unlucky. And I think Sean Dyche can feel a little bit aggrieved that his side didn't pick up any points from the game at Turf Moor, particularly because James Tarkovsky, I thought, was very, very good last night despite the loss and actually a Burnley fan told me not long ago George on Floodlight Focus he came on to talk about the Clarets uh, from the No Nay Never podcast and he said that Tarkovsky is as important to Burnley as Van Dyke is to Liverpool now that was during the transfer window where it was up in the air as to whether Tarkovsky would stay at Burnley or whether he might join West Ham or even Leicester City now at the time I kind of sat there and I thought well, that's a bit of a strange thing to say Van Dijk is a world-class player and James Tarkovsky isn't and that's no disrespect to Tarkovsky but certainly you can see in the way that Burnley defended last night and now that Tarkovsky's back into the fold and he's back fully fit they do look a much more solid unit with him in the side. Yeah they, they do and I can believe that I really can is Burnley are a team that are built on clean sheets and solid defensive performances one just like they showed last night is I thought they kept um, Spurs at bay for the majority of the game, like I said before, I actually thought they were unlucky and they probably deserved a point, if not all three. Um, but Tarkovsky, I can believe that he is as valuable to Burnley as Van Dijk is to Liverpool. This is, this is a guy that you know, had a meteoric rise through the divisions and come out of nowhere to now be capped for England. And I think he probably gets into most teams in the Premier League, give or take a few of them. Obviously, City have spent out fortunes on centre-half, so I'm not sure they'll be interested in James Tarkovsky of Burnley. Um, but I think he's a fantastic defender and he showed that last night as well as as you said a moment ago as well, Dyche will feel unlucky and that's largely down to Tarkovsky and the defensive performance that him and his the guys alongside him produced. You know, we, we just spoke about how many goals Spurs have been scoring and how Mourinho deserves a lot of credit for the performances he's getting out of his forwards. Burnley kept that all quiet last night, really. They, you know, they Spurs were quite lucky to win the game. Uh, the goal came from, well, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a lucky goal, but I suppose when you head it twice in the box before the ball bounced, it's an unusual goal to score, not something that I don't. Th- I think they've drawn up. Um, so yeah, I think Burnley were very unlucky. Daesh can feel very unlucky. And Tarkovsky, I, I can absolutely believe that he's as important to Burnley as Van Dijk is uh, to Liverpool. When you've got a thin squad like Burnley have got, Ian, the likes of Tarkovsky and Ben Mee as well, who's been injured, coming back into the fold... I mean, that that does have a big impact. And there's that old cliche, you know, players returning from injury, they're like new signings, which I never quite understand because the majority of the time, new signings are absolutely dreadful when they come into clubs for the first couple of weeks. <laughs> but um, yes. but certainly Tarkovsky and me, as I mentioned, with Burnley having such a, a small squad, those two players back and experienced players who know the club inside out, that can only be of a benefit to Burnley who have not got off to a great start. Absolutely, yeah. And and, and Burnley definitely don't want to be conceding goals uh, in the position they're in at the moment, and and I think he, uh, Tarkovsky particularly is is making the difference for them in in, in saving their bacon. And you know his his defensive action, uh, I was reading, is you know he's one of the strongest in the league, and that's why teams were probably looking at him during the the transfer window. And probably Burnley are quite fortunate to to have held on to him, um, you know, through that. And I think that's going to certainly help them um, between you know now and the, and the next transfer window at the very least. But he also contributes a little bit towards the the attacking as well. You know, he's a very good passer of the ball too. And so, yeah, they're definitely better for having him in the team. And it's just, can they hold on to him in the, in the long term? Because he's, he seems to be a very valuable player for them. And um, 
you know what happens with teams like Burnley when you have a, a, a you know an, an eye-catching uh, player, the uh, the eye does tend to get caught by other teams, and uh, then mm. you end up you end up losing them at some point. And um, you know where Burnley are uh, at the moment, still without a win. Um, you know that's not um, a position they want to be in, sort of uh, you know come January and and, uh, and and such like, because that's when things are going to turn up a notch. Yeah, for sure. Burnley nil, Tottenham Hotspur won last night in the Premier League. And next up on the podcast, we're going to go from glum turf more to the bright lights of the Champions League as Liverpool and Manchester City are in action. We'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Niall. I've got Ian and Matt alongside me to talk about this evening's Champions League action where Liverpool and Manchester City are in action. We'll talk about Liverpool first as they take on Danish club FC Midtjylland, who aren't particularly well known in the Champions League arena that's for sure it is the first meeting between these two clubs Liverpool do have their injuries much like they did against Sheffield United at the weekend they're without Matip, Van Dijk, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Thiago and Naby Keita but surely Matt they're still going to win this game against Midtjylland who are expected to be the whipping boys of the Champions League group this year I mean you would you would certainly have to think so I mean Midtjylland are not quite up to Liverpool standards are they um but yeah, Liverpool, I would expect them to win. They're not the same team, Liverpool, that they were a couple of years ago when they had their Champions League glory. And I watched the game they played against Ajax uh, last midweek. I didn't think they played very well. I didn't think Ajax played well either. And Liverpool came away with a 1-0 win. Maybe deserved to win the game by another goal or so. But I didn't think they played great. And, you know, I don't think situations have changed much for them within the week. However, as you mentioned, this game is at home instead of away at Ajax. And it's, it is Michelin instead of Ajax. Um, so I do fancy Liverpool to win, obviously. I think everyone does. Uh, will they go out and win in style and give themselves some confidence? I think Liverpool fans would hope so. You know, this is an opportunity for them to go and score some goals. They've not been like the Liverpool of the last couple of seasons where you expect them to go out and get three or four on any given day. We've not seen that from them maybe at all this season. I can't. Oh, I suppose they got four against uh, Leeds, didn't they, on at the beginning of the season? Mm. But yeah, I, I think Liverpool should well and win pretty comfortably today now yeah and you mentioned that maybe they've not been the devastating Liverpool and the you know the razor sharp Liverpool that we've seen in seasons gone by but certainly Ian that's the sign of a top team isn't it one that even though they've got their injuries they can go out there still inspire fear into the opponents and still pick up the victory no matter how slim the margin yeah, I mean Liverpool have got um, a strong enough squad. You know, I think Liverpool's second string is probably good enough to win the uh, the, the Danish uh, Superliga, uh, which is. Uh, which <laughs> Are is you what, sure? Well, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? You know, we, t- we talk about the, uh, the the European Super League. I think maybe we should have a, a European league for the uh, for the second strings and see how they all get on with each other. But uh, yeah, Mitchelland are the are the Danish champions, and uh, they've done very well there. They've um, they've had a good start to the season. Although in the in the Champions League, of course, they got demolished last week by Atalanta four nil. So. Uh, uh, you know, mm. the, the, I don't think that they uh, there are any great hopes in Denmark tonight of of, of any sort of surprises. Um, yeah, Liverpool should be strong enough. They've got you know a lot of strength in depth. Uh, as I say, you know their their bench <laughs> will easily be probably better than uh, some of the players that uh, that uh, Michelander putting out from the starting eleven. So I, I won't really have any concerns. Of course, always a potential banana skin, as we well know in cup competitions. We, <laughs> we, we never know. You know, things can happen. But uh, yeah, certainly on paper Liverpool should be way way strong enough because you know they've they've got uh, yeah they've got Van Dijk and, and a few others out as, as you say but you know they've still got the firepower up front and uh, certainly enough to overrun Michelin. 
I tell you what, we are rolling out all the cliches on today's football I know, social I'm daily. Saying, I'm, I just wondered if you noticed how many I was trying to get in, you know. So I haven't used sick as a parrot yet, but I have now. <laughs> well, we used to have a cliche bill actually on the podcast um, <laughs> where we would ring it every time someone would say a cliche. Um, and I can do that in post-production, but I think the listeners would probably have an absolute nightmare. They'd end up with tinnitus by the end of the show. So we'll, we'll hold off on that for the time being, but... Certainly with the next three games that Liverpool have got in, West Ham, Atalanta, as you mentioned, who who are a decent side in the Champions League, even though it's only their second yeah. campaign, and Manchester City, the third of their next three games. So how important is it for Jurgen Klopp to avoid any more injuries, particularly in a game against Michelin, which they're so obviously expected to win? So, I mean, that would be even more devastating if it comes in a game where players don't need to go above and beyond to get the result. Yeah, I don't think we're at the stage of the competition where you would be putting a, a second string out effectively, you know, to, to sort of uh, coast through. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he'll, he'll, he'll have certainly enough uh, uh, firepower on the field to, to do the job. But I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that the valuable assets and maybe we, we don't know the condition of each individual player at this moment, I suppose, as to which he's maybe mo- most concerned about. But I could think the, uh, the likes of, um, you know, um, Salah and, and, and Mane and so on, but you know, players like that are probably going to get uh, maybe taken off if, if things are comfortable uh, after an hour or so, I, I think for sure, because those other games are, as you say, you know, very big matches and uh, and, and ones that they, they definitely will face a, a sterner test in and, and ones that they need to win too. Well, Liverpool aren't the only club and the only elite club, I suppose you could say, in the Premier League with their injuries because Manchester City, of course, Liverpool's closest challengers to the Premier League title last season. They're also in Champions League action tonight. They travel to Marseille in the south of France. However, they've also got their injuries. They're without Aguero and Fernandinho for sure. Laporte is in the squad, but he's unlikely to start. Ake is injured. Jesus, no one's too sure about him, Matt, as well. And interestingly, Pep Guardiola has been talking about the level of injuries this season. He says that they there's been 47% more muscle injuries compared to this time last season, according to the stats that he's been handed. But yet to me, it always feels like Manchester City do have lots of injuries anyway. So uh, do you think that there are any possible reasons why Manchester City tend to have a lot of injuries? Because it's not just this season. They've dealt with it for the last three or four campaigns, a series of injuries. I mean, he loves a good uh, excuse, Pep, doesn't he? It's one of his favourite things to do. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't, th- I don't know if there's any particular reason why maybe they're having more injuries this season than last. But I mean, I suppose it has been a, a slightly more hectic season with less of a pre-season. But like you said, City had a lot of injuries last season. Sane was out for the whole season. Um, Mendy, as you said, he's always out. I don't, I don't. He's played maybe 15 games. I don't know. Uh, Aguero is usually good for 10 or 15 games of injury a season. So yeah, I mean, City always have injuries. I suppose things maybe once at City so far um, in, in the course of the season, mainly in the Premier League, I suppose. They did get a good result against Porto in the Champions League last weekend. But I, th- I think mm. Marseille away, it should be a, a game that City pick up three points in the Champions League. And if they do that, um, I think they'd be pretty comfortable going through the Champions League groups this time round, as everyone expected, really, anyway. Do you think it's to do with training or anything like that, Matt? Do you think it's to do with the schedules of training and the intensity that players have in training obviously Gundogan had Covid so you can't really kind of include him in you know the regular injury list but certainly you know Manchester City with the intensity they play and the style they play under Pep Guardiola that doesn't lend itself to a short break in the summer which is exactly what these players have had and I know Pep will be able to point fingers at that short pre-season and say that's the reason but you know training at that intensity 
in on that regular basis and then converting that into game time as well that's surely going to have an impact on on players in, in terms of muscle injuries because that's the kind of the thing that Pep is looking at it's sort of small muscle tears or muscle fatigue that's the problem with these injuries I mean yeah I'd love to be able to sit here and tell you that I know what City do in training and I know what Guardiola's in training but I don't uh, I've never seen them train obviously but so I'm, I'm not entirely sure uh, but as you say they do play an intense style of football like Bielsa at Liverpool uh, Leeds sorry um mm. you would think that they replicate that in training and it is he is he I think he's referring to the no preseason and the way that uh, the scheduling has been dealt with with regards to coronavirus. I'm pretty sure that's what he is getting at um, because it is a lot of muscle injuries, as you said, that they have been having um, and they tend to come with fatigue and not enough rest periods and so on and so forth. Uh, mm. But I mean, it, it's the same for every club this year, really. That, that That's my take on this is, you know, it's not ideal. We, uh, Me and you both follow League Two, uh, well, football league clubs and their schedules yeah, are sure. even worse than the Premier League club schedules this season, you know. So I think... It's the same for every club. You've just got to get through it. You're going to have injuries. You've got to sort of factor that in to um, how you view the season and what your plans are for the season. Is you've got to factor in unexpected injuries or maybe more injuries than you had last season or on average in a season um, just because of the way things have gone this year. I think too that um, we know that... Um... Pep is a, a disciple of, of of Marcelo Bielsa, and and um, you know the the thing that uh, always follows him round uh, in in his career has been the the injuries that uh, his sides get, and and that is purely down to the intensity of both the matches and the training. So if 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 they are playing to those kind of methods, which um, mm. you know Guardiola has, has certainly said in the past that that he does, then that would certainly answer for it. Although that said, in the press conference yesterday, the the question was asked about these injuries and, and is he what's he doing and and Pep's very much kind of well this is what every every team playing in in the Champions League is is encountering because of of the you know the the same sort of intensity that they're they're all under in terms of the regularity of the matches so he's not really concerned uh, particularly that it's a, a Man City problem he thinks it's just a clubs playing in leagues and and uh, you know domestically and in Europe sort of problem do you think that that reason that you mentioned there, Ian, kind of lends itself to what I'm about to ask next? Because City haven't been in great Premier League form lately, as Matt rightly points out. They did win their last Champions League game against Porto. But some have started to question whether Pep Guardiola's future at Manchester City is under threat and whether he's the right man for the club going forward. Is that just nonsense? Is that silly talk? Because for me, it certainly feels like silly talk. Every manager goes through a rough patch, particularly in these testing times, which are probably no doubt more difficult for for football managers than ever with the schedules that we have at the moment. I still think that sometimes there's a little bit of an overreaction mm. when managers aren't quite doing as well as maybe people perceive that there's they should be. There's always a cycle doing. with a team, isn't there? That, that, you know, there's always a peak and a trough in, in anything that, that you do in life, really. You know, and we're not all at the 100% every single day. And, um, you know, teams come and go. You know, it's had uh, significant players move along uh, over the past few years. And it take, I think it does take a season or two to, to sort of really everything to, to get to gel properly and you know there's other factors as you say that are out of your hands you know there are injuries that you can't foresee there's currently a pandemic going on which you couldn't really foresee or build in and players have been affected by that uh, you know the club's probably affected by that in terms of how they go about things and how they you know they're able to to do stuff within the team um is is pep a bad manager all of a sudden no uh, he's not he's he's a very good one um there's probably things out of his command but i think the the, the main question will be is is pep getting to the end of of his time 
uh, for himself personally at Manchester City? You know, is he starting to look for a new challenge because he's never really stayed in one place quite so long, has he? You know, Barcelona he was there for a few years, but you know, uh, you know, Manchester City's probably one of his longest, uh, if not the longest, club he's been at now. I don't know off the top of my head, but you know, he does tend to relish a new challenge every few mm. years, and 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 maybe he himself is, you know, is is he invested in it? Is is my question, which I don't have the answer to. What's your take on it, Matt? Do you think that? You know, maybe Pep Guardiola is just having a bit of a turbulent patch. The last couple of seasons haven't quite been up to, you know, Manchester City's or Pep's high standards. And he should be given the chance to put that right. Not that it's a disaster right now. We're talking as if, you know, everything's falling apart at the seams for City. That's simply not the case. It's just not quite up to the level they would want. So certainly he's more than earned the right to kind of turn things around. He's a top, top manager. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well. It's just the typical, you know, big successful name manages successful club, uh, and when th- results don't go their way for a prolonged period of time, we pretend like they're going to get sacked. It's not, it's not going to happen. City are not going to sack Guardiola, and if they were, it would be to disregard everything fantastic that he's done for the club over the last few years, all the trophies that he's won, and the good football that they've played, and the ridiculous points tallies that they've racked up in certain seasons. So I don't think he's going to get sacked. Do I think maybe Guardiola might not be at City next season? That's definitely possible. I think, you know, maybe his eyes are turning towards mm. somewhere else or a, a different challenge or a different country where there's maybe less rain. Um, that I think that's definitely possible. But I, he's not, if we're talking about a sacking from Manchester City, it's, I just don't think it's possible. And if it is, then football as they always say, has gone mad. The game's gone, hasn't it? You can't can't sack Pep Guardiola. You just can't. (laughs) He's earned the right to walk away on his own terms, as they would say. Yeah, he has. He has. And I don't think Manchester City fans would begrudge him that. And I don't think I've seen any Manchester City fans suggesting that Pep Guardiola's time at the Etihad is up and he should leave the club. It's all narrative from pundits and the media and people like us, idiots like us on the podcast discussing whether Pep Guardiola, who's an absolute genius (laughs) and has achieved more than I will ever achieve in my life, discussing whether he (laughs) should stay at the club or not. But that's the nature of football. That's why we love it. And Manchester United fans certainly might have been looking across the city with slight envy. And it's Manchester United who we're going to talk about next because Gaz Drinkwater will be joining us from BBC Radio Manchester for Floodlight Focus. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social and it's time for the part of the show where we do Floodlight Focus which is where the focus swivels onto one of our Premier League sites and today it is the turn of 20-time champions Manchester United and who better to talk about Manchester United than Gaz Drinkwater from BBC Radio Manchester's Talking Bulls. Hello Gaz, how you doing mate? Hello mate, yeah I'm all good. Uh, it would have been a dreadful week had we got thrashed at the weekend but uh, luckily we won nil nil so very happy with that <laughs> everyone loves a nil nil win it's better than a nil nil loss that's for yeah. sure but certainly I'm glad you mentioned the last week because what a difference a week makes in football what a difference a fortnight makes in football because a few weeks ago conceded six goals against Spurs lost 6-1 equally in that defeat to City in 2011 as the worst defeat in Manchester United's Premier League history and then a week later you go and beat Newcastle comfortably you beat PSG comfortably and you put in a decent defensive display against Chelsea. So does that make it all the more frustrating as a United fan that one week you can be absolutely dismal and the next week you can be unbelievable? 
I mean, in some ways it's frustrating because it's been a similar cycle for the last few years. It feels like every single manager we've had has always been just a week away from being sacked, like, you know, a couple <laughs> of dodgy results and he's already in the doghouse. But uh, I do think this time around, I've got to give credit to Ollie because I do think Ollie is still learning things about this team and I think he's learning which uh, which lineups work for certain games, especially and the fact that he came off the back of that Spurs defeat and obviously thought, right, you know, we've got three really tough games coming up. Three tough games where if our defence plays like they did against Spurs, you could be conceding six goals in each game anyway. Uh, maybe not Newcastle, but still. <laughs> uh, you know, so I think that he obviously needed to do something and he, he maybe shifted things around, made things more defensive. And the only time I think that really cost us was maybe the Chelsea game where maybe we, we could have pushed forward and got a winner. But having said that, we could have conceded loads of goals doing that. So the fact that we've uh, only conceded two goals against PSG, Newcastle and Chelsea, and one of which being a freak goal for Newcastle, really, I think he's done really well. The Chelsea game was labelled as Battle of the PE Teachers, Lampard versus Solskjaer, <laughs> which I thought was a little bit harsh, to be fair, because obviously they're two quality footballers back in the day. But management is a completely different ball game. Although Solskjaer's had a fair bit of stick over his tenure so far about the lack of flexibility tactically and whether he's really got it about him to change games from a managerial perspective. But against Paris, to play a back three was ballsy and it paid off. I mean, do you think Solskjaer is perhaps underrated for some of his tactical choices or is there a case for some of those United fans that think he's not quite up to the challenge? I don't want to sit on the fence too much here, but because uh, I... I, I do back Ollie, and I do think he's a quietly he's a tactically astute manager. I think he has made changes in games that have helped. And like I say, playing that three at the back, it, it's not just playing the three at the back; it's the players that were in there as well. The fact that he's he's almost found a use for Luke Shaw as a left sided centre half. I think that takes you know a bit of defensive coaching to be able to do that to bring Axel Tuanzebi back after something like what was it like ten months yeah. since his last game, which was against lower league opposition. And for him to have the game of his life, you've got to give credit to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer for that, I think, personally. So are you Oli in or Oli out? I, 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 oh, I've well. given, you, given you a few softener questions to start off before I go in with the real hard-hitting questions of, are you Oli in or Oli out? Come on, Gaz. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm Oli in. I'm, I'm Oli in all day. Uh, the, the only, I think the problems that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has aren't his fault. Uh, you know, I think there should be... Uh, I think the fact that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer doesn't have a holding midfielder has held United back this season and will hold us back because it means we can't get the best out of Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes. Uh, I think there's loads of areas in the team as well that Oli wanted to strengthen, but I think he was let down by the board in the summer. So I, 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 I almost think that if he gets this team into a top four position, same, same as this time last season, really, that is actually a really good achievement. Jose Mourinho got almost laughed off the park when he mentioned that finishing second with that United side that he managed a few seasons ago was one of his greatest ever achievements. And United fans now looking back in hindsight and thinking, actually, he might have had a point. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> that, that's teasing he finished second. What did he finish second on? It wasn't many points. And all I remember is the, the, the team that were ahead of them was City at the time. They were way, way, way ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we weren't challenging for the title. Uh, we barely scraped second. It's almost in the same way as you know last season, the way that we barely scraped top four. However, I will say that last season, uh, we didn't have a great team on paper, personally. I think it could have been argued that with Pogba out for the majority of the season and before we got Bruno Fernandes, it could have been argued that a team like Leicester have a better team on paper than Manchester United. So 
the fact that Oli got third place last season for me is a bigger achievement than Jose getting second in his season. Well, obviously, United have moved to make some signings in the summer. Edinson Cavani's come in. Obviously, we've not really seen too much of him because he's not trained for so long. And obviously, Van der Beek. And there's been a lot of debate on social media the last few days, especially, about Van der Beek's lack of game time. But when you've got three midfielders of the quality of Van der Beek, Fernandes, Pogba, it's going to be hard to wedge them all into the same team. So in terms of signings that Manchester United have made over the course of the summer, are you happy as a, as a United fan? Uh, not at all. Not not happy in the slightest. Um, I think we needed a right winger. We maybe needed another, uh, you know, I guess we brought Cavani in, but I think a, a more dynamic striker maybe we would have been in, we should have been in for. A holding midfielder, as I've said, which I genuinely don't think even appeared on Manchester United's radar over the summer. I don't think they were even thinking about signing a holding midfielder. Uh, we needed a centre-half. Uh, we actually got a left-back in the end, obviously. Um but as for your question about Donny van der Beek, I think the only reason we actually signed him was because he came available and he was probably offered to us. That's how bad I think the recruitment and the scouting is at times at Manchester United. Mm. I think that the reason we've gone for him is because we've been available and we don't, we don't know where to fit him in the team because he isn't a holding midfielder. He cannot play that role. He's an attacking midfielder who wants to get into the box as, you know, as soon as possible and as regularly as possible. And unfortunately, we've already got a couple of them, which, well, one of them is a World Cup winner and one of them was the best player in the league for a few months last season in Bruno Fernandes. So, you know, it's it seems to be a transfer that's been made and doesn't really make much sense. But he looks great when he plays. He really does look great. So I do want to see more of him. Obviously, Van der Beek was part of that Ajax team that got to the semi-finals of the Champions League. It feels like so long since United have gone deep into the Champions League, probably because it is quite a while since they have, although they did end up getting to the semis of the Europa League last season. It's nowhere quite like the Champions League, is it? So what's your ambitions as a United fan in the Champions League this season? We've already seen you beat PSG. You've got Leipzig and Istanbul in your group in the Champions League this season. It's been called the group of death, but you got off to a great start against PSG. So what's your kind of aspirations for the Champions League this year? Yeah, we absolutely did. And and that means so much, not just because, you know, you're beating a big team, but it's also that feeling as a United fan of, of beating a big team in the Champions League as well. It's like, it's a feeling as a football fan that, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I've seen my club win the Champions League, but that, that competition has quite a lot of affinity with me and it was just a nice feeling. But I think this season in the Champions League, we, we've, we've got to focus on the league more than anything. And we've got to focus on really getting a foothold in the Premier League and start getting you know, some some consistency, really, in our finishes in the league. Uh, having said that, get, and this is going to sound really, really naff and a real sign of how things have changed at Manchester United, but I do still think we're in the bit of a transition period, so we shouldn't really be focusing on the Champions League too much. I think it's an achievement with the group that we've got to actually get out of it, to be honest, with 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 the sort of depleted... Not, not depleted squad, because it was never there in the first place but with the sort of lack of bench options that we've maybe had the lack of squad depth I think just getting out the group is an achievement <laughs> well if it's a transition season or a transition period 
What's mm. your ideal end to this transition? Obviously, if we're in it now, what would be the ideal goal? Let's say two seasons down the line, you're back in Solskjaer. Let's say still the manager. What would be the kind of gas drink water, ideal Manchester United setup in that time? Oh, in my dream world, um, firstly, the board would actually go for the players that Ollie wants to improve the team next summer. Uh, but in my <laughs> ideal world, we actually, you know, we finished top four this season. Uh, maybe, you know, a cup competition alongside that. Not really too fussed, to be honest. Uh, but then going forward, uh, next year, we've, we we want to be challenging again. And there's no excuse as well. People act like, oh, you know, it's not, you're not playing a video game here. You can't just go out and buy all the players every summer. But Manchester United can. The amount of money we earn as a club, the size of us as a club, the fan base we have, we have that size and we do have that pull to bring big players into the team um, and, and important players that we need in the positions that we actually need them in as well. Mm. I just think the decisions made above Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that are going to hold us back. But in my ideal in my ideal world, this time next season, we want to be trying to challenge for the Premier League. Absolutely. So is that the biggest frustration then? If there was one takeaway that any United fans or non-United fans even listening to the podcast today would be thinking, I wonder what United fans are feeling right now. Would that be your biggest frustration? Because it seems like, although the talk about the owners has been rumbling on for years, it seems like now it really is starting to gather momentum more than ever. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's was it been going on for years since since we were successful as well. I think it's important to know it. this isn't just United fans throwing the toys out the pram because they've not spent 100 million on a player or because we're not necessarily successful. These protests have been going on since 2009, you know, when we played, when we replaced Ronaldo with Michael Owen and Obertan. Uh, but that was, a, <laughs> that, that, was a, that was a year after we won the Champions League as well. And I think we're in a, a constant cycle at the moment at Manchester United and it's a horrible cycle to watch as a fan because it really does make you feel useless where we will appoint a manager, we'll back that manager, they will get top four, then the next summer we won't back him, we won't give him the players that he wants, he falls out the top four, we sack him, we hire someone else and that's the cycle and it's happened with all the managers we've had recently and I just think it's because the pure the poor decision making from the board and from the people making the big decisions and I don't, I don't know maybe it's something to do with David Gill being here in the past and Sir Alex Ferguson why we were still successful under the Glazers but I'm going to be totally honest as a United fan I can't really see us taking that next step and challenging for a Premier League while the owners are still here and, and while it's Ed Woodward making a lot of the decisions at Manchester United, unfortunately, because I, I genuinely just think that all they care about is the money that comes in. And at Man United, if you get in top four, you're in the Champions League and that's it. You get in the money and that's all that matters to them. They don't, they don't need to take that next step. Really interesting to hear your thoughts, Gaz. Tell the people about Talking Balls on Radio Manchester because loads more Manchester United chat on the show. Yeah, Talking Balls, we do it 6 till 7pm on BBC Radio Manchester. Uh, it's with me, I'm a United fan, obviously. Uh, I'm a mate, Kyle Walker. No, not that one, but conveniently, he is a City fan. <laughs> uh, and we essentially just go at it for an hour. You know, there's some topics we agree on, obviously, some topics we disagree on. Uh, it's a phone-in show, so we always want callers, not just from Manchester, from anywhere uh, to call in and and, and get it off your chest what you've got to say about United and City. Even if you don't support United and City and you just hate United or City, we want to hear from you <laughs> on our show. Any Leeds fans listening in, that's your cue to go and listen to Talking Balls and give oh, them a load of stick. <laughs> and a we've had Portsmouth fans as well. We've had them all. Oh, guys, great to catch up with you, mate. Take care of yourself and uh, everyone go and check out Talking Balls. Speak to you soon, mate.
All the best, guys. Thanks very much, Gaz. Right, that's it for today's Football Social Daily. Another episode done and dusted, but don't forget, you can hit the subscribe button and that way you won't miss another show every single day of the Premier League season, including weekends where we have preview and review shows of the weekend's Premier League action. You'll be able to get a brand new podcast. So as I say, if you hit that subscribe button, that way you won't ever miss one. That's it for today. Thanks very much, Ian. Thank you. Thanks very much, Matt. Thank you, mate. And we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.